right. Well, this is episode 21 of Talk That Talk. I'm your host, Fallon Stokes, and we have a special guest today. We have Senior Women's Administrator at Auburn University, Monique Holland. Welcome to the show, Monique. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, so happy to have you. And, you know, just going to give a little bit of background about your journey. So when I met you, I was a, a pipsqueak at Georgia Tech playing basketball, and you were one of my assistant coaches there. Um, and I didn't have you my entire time there, but you were there for, what was it, about five or six years before I got there? Okay. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were coaching under Agnes Baranato at the time, so she gave you your first opportunity as an assistant coach. Um, you were young in your 20s, and you don't see that too often for Black women. Um, and then you made the decision transition, wanted to get into administration, and then you switched over to the compliance division at Georgia Tech, where you kind of got your start in administration and was working with Mary McElroy. I call her Miss Mary and uh, doing some great work to keep us in line at Georgia Tech, make sure we were doing the right things. And, you know, I think just to have two black women working in that that department was very helpful at the time. We may not have known it, but right. as we're looking out for our best interests. Um, and then you went on, had a few journeys where you were at Georgia State, you were at Clayton State for a period of time, and then you get your first admi- um, athletic director position at your alma mater, Alabama State, um, and then transitioned to SMU as an executive senior women's administrator there, um, and then now you're at Auburn University. So very impressive to see your journey as a Black woman, especially working in two different realms at HBCU compared to being at a power of five or a couple of power of five schools. So I just want to talk to you and just start out and, and just learning about your journey. Um, you grew up in Missouri, right? I did. I did. Youngest of four girls raised by a okay. single mother. Yeah. Okay. But, um, the product of a village for sure. I got you. Yeah, it always is. So your collegiate career, you went to Alabama State and you hooped for the Hornets, the Lady Hornets. So talk yeah. about that experience and when did you decide that you wanted to work in college athletics? Interesting, Fallon. You know, I was a student athlete all my life. You know, I, I started playing sports when I was in the second grade um, and had some amazing, you know, my sister, my second oldest sister was my first coach. Um, and, and, you know, I I later learned that sports was going to be my ticket out. You know, we didn't, I didn't come up with, I didn't grow up with a lot of money around. There wasn't a lot of examples of people going to college or at least leaving my town. Um, and so I learned just by the, through the village of how much sports can impact the rest of my life. And so, um, so that's kind of what happened, you know? So then when I, I, even when I got to college, I played for a male coach and I went to an HBCU, but even still then I did not think about, working in sports. I just didn't see women. And so that there is, there's so much to be said about um, having examples to give you an idea or some um, options to consider to work in sports. And so it wasn't until um, after college, I had a great time at Alabama State, great mentors, um, great coaches. Um, Like I said, still had no desire to work in sports as much as I loved it. I had a passion with working with people. So I was going to go into a therapeutic industry. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But when I went to Atlanta after college, um, I worked for the 96 Olympics, so I'm dating myself a little bit, um, but worked there. And, and that's when I, um, after the Olympics was over, uh, I went to Georgia Tech to look for a job, not okay. 
sports. And I went over to the athletics complex. Um, first, when the HR department was just signing, you know, applying for receptionist opportunities and those type of things. But went to the athletics department and went to the women's basketball office and, and sat there in the lobby. And I heard Agnes, and you know Agnes, a little loud. <laughs> I heard her voice, not knowing who she was. Yeah, you can't miss her. Um, right? Her amazing personality, you can hear it a mile away. Um, I went to, uh, I went and saw, and I was sitting in the lobby, kind of waiting for her to come outside. She had no idea I was there. I'm shy, thinking, not really believing I belong there, right? Just mm-hmm. So I, I'm just so thankful. And, and this goes back to just my journey, even up to that point where people just instilled in me, it's okay to just, just go for it. And I really didn't know that was in me until later in life when I started to reflect back on some of the decisions I've made. But um, I saw Bobby Crimmins. You remember Bobby Crimmins? Oh, yeah. You know, Bobby. Yes. If, you know, legend, a legend in his own right. I mean, he is a legend. Mm-hmm. And I saw his name uh, on the nameplate outside of the offices. And that's when I really thought I didn't belong because I knew Bobby Crimmins. Mm-hmm. But, and so I was getting ready to leave, actually. And Agnes came out and was like, hey, what do you want? You know, you know, Agnes. And I said, I just came over to volunteer. And she, and she said, and at that time, the team was getting prepared to go to Italy or Europe. Uh-huh. And she said, um, well, why don't you just come, you know, her come to practice, you know, and I did that. And she invited me down to speak to the, I mean, just to say hello to the ladies. Uh-huh. They went to Europe. I sent her a thank you note. Um, um, thank you note for letting me, you know, sit in on practice. I sent her a congratulations on their victory in Europe. And soon after that, she's like, Hey, I got an opportunity here. Do you want it? Uh-huh. And to me, she said she, two of her, two of her, um, um, two things that are very important to her are saying thank you and offering your service. And you mm-hmm. know, this is big in service. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I landed my first opportunity. So I had no, to be very honest, it was in a sport I love. So it was easy for me to mm-hmm. transition to that, but definitely a blessing. A, Saint, a girl from St. Joe went from a, you know, graduated from HBCU to work for my first opportunity to be at a power five institution like Georgia Tech. It's still, yeah. it's still a blessing for me. No, that's awesome. Um, and that's just Coach B's personality. I think that's mm-hmm. one thing she always taught us. Even like when she had so many different people from like the Mayfields. I mean, we would have like big names yes. in our locker rooms to come speak to us. And I don't think we knew how major it was back then. And we were just like, we wanted some ice cream for the Mayfield. <laughs> yeah. Those connections, the importance of writing a thank you note to somebody you meet, staying in touch, mm-hmm. networking. That's one of the things that I look back on that she taught us. And, and, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but it was just so important in life, those life experiences. Right. Right. So, OK, you get to Georgia Tech and then you're there, you're coaching. I know my freshman year um, we made it to the NIT, WNIT. Um, and then it was in 2001, 2002, you moved to compliance, I, I believe. So what was the reasoning behind that? Why did you think you wanted to take a shift? or make a shift from coaching into mm-hmm. going into administration? Well, I, I was able, you know, one, Mary McElroy was such an inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so I've been fortunate to have Black women in roles um, um, before it was popular, right? Mm-hmm. So, But it, was, it allowed me to marry my passion for integrity, um, for education and for sport. Mm-hmm. I always want to be a teacher, it's always been about integrity and I love sports. So it was an opportunity to marry the three of those things together. Right. And so I shared my, my, my goal with Mary McElroy. And so when she was promoted to the senior level position um, and then Jennifer Condaris was there as well, they both um, afforded me that opportunity to transition into compliance. 
So that's how I was able to get started in administration. So I always tell people, just share your goals with people. I know, right? Mm-hmm. You never know what may happen when you do it. Right. So after you, you're in compliance, you're at Georgia Tech in the compliance department for maybe what, two, three years? I'm yeah. trying to, okay. Mm-hmm. So what was your next move after that? Where'd you, it was, it, was it Clayton State after yeah. that? Okay. Right. And it's Clayton State because, and again, just, I always go back, like people thought I was crazy, right? To leave Georgia Tech, this major institution, to go to a Division II school down um, down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just telling a young person that, uh, yesterday why I believe in the Division II model. Um, for me, it was about I would get more opportunities. At a place like Georgia Tech, it's almost like a glass ceiling. People just weren't going to leave. It was such an amazing, amazing institution, amazing place to work. So People weren't going to leave. And I knew going to Division Two to work with Mason Barfield, I would get afforded the opportunity to do a lot of things. And I did. I oversaw cheerleading. I oversaw marketing. I oversaw game day management. Like I oversaw it all. So um, and, and, you know, I again, I didn't know all about it. But when I spoke with Mason about the opportunity, I was pretty intrigued by the opportunities to do more things at a Georgia Tech where there's more resources. You're pretty much siloed in your role. And right. so this just allowed me to expand um, in athletics to go when I went to Clayton State. You know, that's a good point, because I think a lot of my friends who are in coaching, sometimes you you forget that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you want to get to the big school and you just see the big picture, but mm-hmm. not understanding the steps you may have to take to get to that power five. And get into the position that you want to want to get or achieve in the future. So it is important going to those smaller schools and and working in every capacity, understanding every Mm -hmm. nook and cranny of it. So when you Mm -hmm. get the opportunity, you know how it works and what you need to do in that role. So, you know, after Clayton State, um, you went to Georgia State next. Right. So I I think that's what. No, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying no. to follow journey because you've been a lot of places. Right. So, Sounds bad probably. now. <laughs> so, after Clayton um, State, the, what NCAA, was the, next move? the NCAA National That's office. what it was. Okay. Right. right. Okay. And, oh my gosh. Um, um, they, someone there called me. I was not looking to go to the NCAA. For one, I didn't want to move up north back to right. the United States. But yeah. Indianapolis? Yes. Okay. Um, by the, a guy named gentleman by the name of Paul Parker, um, he um, he and I met during a conference, and so he had recommended me to uh-huh. two amazing black women, um, Wendy Walters and Delisa Malley, who are okay. Wendy's still there, but Delisa's doing amazing things down in Florida. Don't want to get the, the the organization she works with wrong, but everyone knows Delise. But um, so they, if, um, I remember the interview process. <laughs> And they, um, the one thing they asked me, which was so crazy, they said, what would keep you from taking the job? And I said, the cold weather. I always tell people that story because the first place they sent me when I got there was to New Hampshire in December. So I felt like I was being initiated, but okay. But anyways, um, I went there again. I, I can afford it to work with some amazing women, black women. Um, but I went there because, again, it's the NCA national office. Yeah. I always, always ask Mary McElroy about, you know, what I should be doing. I'm so young in my career. And this is before Twitter and D1 ticker and all those things. So, you know, you, you didn't get caught up in where you should be or what other, where other people thought you should be. I just kind of went with what made sense mm-hmm. um, for me. And, and the crazy part is, found I didn't have an end goal at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have like I want to be an athletics director. I just wanted to keep getting opportunities. And so. And obviously, and honestly, back then, not many black women were thinking about being athletic directors because it just you just didn't see many examples right. or any people, person of color, period. And so um, but that's what I went to the NCAA there for about 10 months. And then Mary got the opportunity at Georgia State and, and invited back to her on her staff at Georgia State. 
Got you. So mm-hmm. what did you what is just some of the things you learned at the NCAA offices or just in that position, even though it was for 10 months, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you learned that just how they, they govern, you know, I guess their involvement in athletics and policing. What are some of the things you learned? Well, what I did learn, I think, I think the most important thing that I learned and which made it very difficult for me to leave, which was one of the reasons that made it difficult for me to want to leave or to leave mm-hmm. um, is that they need, it's important to have diverse representation. I remember sitting in during a, um, waivers committee meeting, right? And we were okay. hearing waivers for initial eligibility and, or maybe continuing eligibility, one of them. And some of the rationale that was provided, I could relate to. And some people that did come up from a similar background could not. So for example, it may be, you know, a young person is failing because they had to go home every weekend to help grandmother raise their little sister who's pregnant at 15 and brother who's maybe 10 on drugs, right? Those are real stories. Mm. And so if you are not familiar with those type of um, that, that's those type of cultures or, or even can't even imagine it, then you're, right. you're less likely to believe the story, if you will. And so I think it was so important to have not just diversity and what we look like, but our backgrounds in those rooms. And so even at that time, I was one of the only few that looked like me, or at least from that background in the room. Mm-hmm. So I felt like my voice was important, even though I was young, I just knew me speaking up during some of those conversations was important. And I was afraid that might be lost mm-hmm. if I left. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not sure why I carried that weight, but that's just who I am. Right. So I remember that being a lesson learned that it's so imp- that's probably when I realized how important it is to have diverse representation and not just from race and, and gender, but from backgrounds. Mm. So that's probably the most important thing I learned working there. Um, a lot of people there are, uh, you know, have a law background and no offense to you. It's <laughs> very proud of you and your, your journey. Um, but, but that's probably one thing. The other thing was just the, the, um, the, which is why I think I was an attractive candidate to the NCAA is the ability to multitask. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had to do a lot of, you just wasn't, um, even though it was all compliance related and interpretation related, you had to serve on various committees, work with different personalities to different, at different degrees uh, in their right. in um, experience. So um, I learned a lot about that. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. awesome. mm-hmm. um, and that's true. I think in, in so many different arenas, like just having true representation and diverse representation in my profession as a criminal mm-hmm. defense attorney is, you know, I can't relate to have my client situations, but sometimes just knowing a story, a friend, a relative in similar circumstances, you can understand it. And you're mm-hmm. able to, I guess, um, articulate that. So right. you don't. So after your experience with the NCAA, you go to Georgia State, right? Right. And I thought that was so dope when Miss Mary got that job. I was like, uh, it's a black female at Georgia State. That's the athletics director. That's right. awesome, you know? Right. Um, and I know, you know, people she worked closely with, she trusted, and she built these relationships with you. I know, I think Marvin Lewis was there at a point as well. So these are people from Georgia Tech she brought over, right. over you know, run this programs. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, programs over there. So talk about that experience. Cause I just remember the biggest thing was she started football or incorporated the football program, which they didn't have. And it's a big moneymaker for them now. Right. So talk about that experience. Yeah. Um, I was, I left right at the, t- at the beginning phases of her um, working on that project. And, and she definitely deserves the credit for football coming to Georgia state. Um, it was a part of her, her vision immediately. Um, um, That's 
I hate to say it, but it is. She understood. They, it was a great hire. I think what people fail to realize is, is it, Mary was one of the pioneers of Black women in 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 those positions, and and to and unfortunately, sometimes um, I think people overlook the challenges because um, we're we're all learning, right? How mm-hmm. to navigate that space, and she was as well. Um, but I was very fortunate for her to think highly enough of me to bring me back in a on her executive staff. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, I the, the first position I had similar to that was at Clayton State, and and it's just much different. So, mm-hmm. but I'm just glad she was able to recognize the skill sets that I had that can add value to her program. Um, she had, I was overseeing compliance, but she also had me overseeing facilities, which I had no idea, but I hired an amazing young lady, uh, Sarah Davis, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a, a woman. You know, Mary was about empowering women. And so I'll always be grateful to her for that. Um, so I did that. And I, I oversaw sports like baseball, which I'd never had before, and, and, and soccer. Uh-huh. Now, I don't celebrate that because those sports are long <laughs> days. <Yeah. laughs> but, but, I, but I've always appreciated getting an opportunity to work with sports I'd never worked with before. Okay. Okay. Um, but but what Mary taught me, oh my gosh, you know Mary. Mary McRoy, yeah. she's very um, oh my gosh, I remember sometimes she'd have me walk through because I'm over facilities, right? So not mm-hmm. just projects, but also the game, you know, facilities themselves. She'd have me walk through the uh, the facilities and make sure like there's no cobwebs in the corners and this and, like she would do the eye test. So me and Sarah would have to go through buildings all the time to make sure. Cause but she, but what that taught me is just be very um what's the word? I proud's not the word, but I can't even think of the word found, but she just made me have pride. There's the word right in the space that I, that I, I mean, I need to own it, but where I work. And that means every, all part of this. And so I didn't look at it initially like that, but as I started leading in other places, I became Mary McRoy (laughs) when it came to that stuff, like the details, the the details. And so she taught me that, but I was there at Georgia state for about two and a half years and, and, and just having a, had an amazing run there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that speaks volumes because Miss Mary does have that Air Force background. So, you know, with that military background, it's going to be like specific, very structured. Mm-hmm. Very, and she always has been like that since I've known her. So mm-hmm. and I think that's important if you're going to run anything, any type of right. organization, business. So transitioning after you leave uh, Georgia State, then you get your opportunity at your alma mater, right? As a national right. director. Well, no. Well, actually, I went there not in the AD role, but we can. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that experience when you decided or made the decision to go to Alabama State. Right. Um, so, how did that transition start? What positioning? What position did you start in, or what role? And then, mm-hmm. when did you make the transition to AD? Again, another time when people thought I was crazy to leave Florida <laughs> State, get ready to start football, could, could put my name on that project as well. Right. Um, but my truth is, Fallon, and, and as crazy as it sounds, my alma mater needed something that I had, a skill. Um, they needed someone with a strong compliance background. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I didn't have a lot of money to give them, but I could at least give them this. And, right. so, and I looked at it like I had a great experience up to that point that and I, and I don't. I didn't look at it as a watering down my career. I looked at it as, as it, it's about my character. It's about my commitment to my alma mater, my loyalty to what that, you know, to them. And, um, you know, so to me, it was a no brainer. People thought I, the people that knew thought I was crazy, but it was a no brainer for me. I got to give something back to my school. Uh-huh. And when I got there, 
I brought April Taylor, one of my former student athletes, right, um, with me. Um, I, she was my student athlete at Clayton State, so not too far before, you know, longer before that that I that I met April and brought her with me, and um, hired another younger young African American female to join me, and we just tackled the compliance background, you know, t- compliance issues they had. They were going through a major infractions um, case, and um, again, just again had this. I had the skills that they were looking for. And it wasn't easy at the beginning because, again, they were going through this major infractions case and um, just had to work long hours. But um, I wouldn't change it for the world. It definitely shaped who I am uh, as, a, as a leader, um, in addition to all the things Mary taught me. Um, so about six months after I arrived there, they then um, promoted me to the director of athletics position wow. uh, because of the work that I had done. So yeah. we, we gave a lot of hours, but I can't take credit by myself. I had right. April Taylor and... Um, Shay Taylor and, and Christine Hampton. Um, I had some pretty amazing women who, 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 who had my back while I was there. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you're the AD in this role and at an HBCU. And um, previously on season one, I had um, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Xavier Peoples who started this app called HBCU Change and is trying to start raising more funds or donations by anybody or alumni who want to give to these programs, especially with athletics. And I know that's a key concern in just trying to get alumni to either donate to the athletic program or Mm -hmm. how to raise money for these programs at HBCUs. Mm -hmm. So talk about some of the challenges you faced, you know, coming from larger schools, whether it was Georgia State, Georgia Tech, and now you're at Alabama State trying to continue to get money, fundraising for your programs, athletics, facilities, compliance, all of these different facets that you had to oversee? Well, um, the well, what I was mostly focused on when I got there was truly just the operations of the department as it relates to academics and compliance. Those were having the, the greatest impact and, and a lot of that was negative impact on our student athletes. And so I was totally focused on that. Um, and so we spent a lot of our time doing eligibility waivers. Um, you know, it's... Alabama State was just in a very, I guess, challenging situation, if you will, okay. um, where uh, just lack of resources or limited resources just kept them from providing the support to our student athletes that I know we should be able to provide with or without resources, right? Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe because I had the experience is why I was able to bring in some creative ways to provide some of the things. So I didn't spend a whole okay. lot of my time, just to be honest, on the fundraising piece other than just really being an advocate for our budgets to support our student athletes having a great experience while they were there. And that was just, you know, an advocate to the campus. And so um, I I have no doubt that I couldn't, I couldn't have raised many there because I really had, um, I I have a pretty positive image in in Alabama state culture in the world. Mm -hmm. So I know that I could raise money there. Um, um, But, you know, that's, that's what our focus was. It was about really making sure our student athletes could compete. We had a lot of kids who were ineligible when we got there. Um, but again, it was just some of it was just misadvisement. Just people just didn't have um, the background support to really know some of the rules and stuff like that. So my experience with the people that I brought in, we were able to um, work through that and, and reverse some of that through. It was very, you know, again, it's hard to explain, but it was we just put our head down and went to work and, mm-hmm. and what the issues were. And the thing is, a lot of those kids were doing well. People just were not maybe applying the right rules at the time, you know, mm-hmm. or the right um you know, the LGBT. And I also brought Dina, Dina uh, Freeman Patton down, her and one of her staff members from Georgia State, right? 
who that they had the academic background. So they really helped me. Dina just got an AD job, so proud of her. Um, but they came down to help me. So we were able to help revive um, compliance and academics at Alabama State. And that was my focus because, again, that was mostly that was impacting our kids the most at the time. OK. OK. So how long were you at Alabama State? Then you make the transition to SMU. Right. So right. you you help clean up all these eligibility issues, compliance issues, mm-hmm. academics, and you move on to SMU. So talk about that move and your role while you were at that school. Right. Uh, you know, um, I wasn't there as long as I would have, have liked as far as when I think about my goal. To, when I start to realize AD, being an AD is possible after seeing Mary in that role, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always said I wanted to do that in my alma mater. Um, I didn't expect it to happen that soon. Mm-hmm. And um, I always tell people I didn't know what I didn't know. And so about 10 months um, into the, uh, well, I guess I was there a year and a half, almost two. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly when. Um, I just realized it wasn't the right time for me, Fallon. And I had to be okay with that. Um, I had a great time there. I love my alma mater, but I, I just, there was a lot as I started learning more and more and more. I knew I needed more. And, and no one... Alabama State didn't, I just came up to that realization on my own. And it was hard because, you know, who doesn't want to be the AD at their alma mater at 37 years old? Right. I was like, there's just so much more I can give my alma mater at another time. And so I just chose to to move on. Mary called me, Mary again, was at SMU for a short time. And um, she wanted to move back to Atlanta to be with her family. And she called me and you probably remember, I don't know if you remember Steve or Senior or not, you may not have gotten to... um, Georgia Tech at the time, but he was on the leadership team when I was okay. at Georgia Tech and Mary was there and um, he might have gone to Central Florida by then, but he was the AD at SMU at the time. And Mary was like, hey, I plan to leave. I plan to resign. Are you interested in this opportunity? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's how that happened. I would not have left had she not had made that call. And I had to really think about what I can get from SMU that I can then bring back at some point if if I ever chose to or if Elgin State and I ever came to agreement to return. But I just knew I I just knew I needed to learn more about this this industry and right. I knew that I can get that even at SMU. So that's that's why I left and it was not an easy decision. I loved living in Montgomery. I love making an impact. Me and the staff was doing great things. We were you know we we could we weren't focused on winning national championships. We were focusing on being competitive and winning conference championships, mm-hmm. and we were focusing on developing our kids, right? Getting them ready for the real world. And we also I was working on um, developing our staff. We had you know during staff meetings we had someone present on professional development. So we're focused on things that could impact the rest of their lives, and it wasn't just always on the field of play. Right. Right. Okay. So when you get to SMU, you know, talk about um, just some of the things that you faced. I mean, being a a black female again in that role as a senior administrator um, and, you know, making the transition again, coming from an HBCU. Now you're back to a predominantly white school um, Mm -hmm. that you're having to enforce and and make sure that it's um, parity in the field of sports or in the athletic department. Right. Talk about that experience and that transition. Well, the good thing is, and, and it's so crazy because when I think about this, I think that up until that point, my experience was was pretty good, right? Because mm-hmm. I, had, I had black women leaders. So I didn't really think about the issues that maybe a lot of my friends and counterparts were facing. And, I, and again, we didn't have a lot of the social media platforms. So I didn't know a lot of other black women. Right. In, other than the ones I was working with. So having Mary, having Wendy, having Delise, you know, 
I was already, I already felt like I could handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I got there, you know, Steve Rossini, he, he, you know, he claimed me as his own because I was with him at Georgia Tech. I was a young person, a young administrator then. And I, I think I was coaching when he was there first. And so before he left. And so I, I think, you know, someone like Steve, who, who truly is, uh, truly was, um, committed to development. I think he was proud that I came from the same, you, you probably remember Dave Brain, our director of athletics at, at Georgia Tech. My fave. Yeah. Yes. So Dave Brain basically raised Steve, raised Mary, raised me. So we were a family, right? Mm-hmm. So I already felt comfortable going into that space okay. with Steve. Okay. Um, and some of the things I realized later, I didn't know in real time, but um because I always try to look back on my career and say, why did I feel okay? Why did I feel comfortable at the time? And then sometimes I, and later on, I probably didn't feel as comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, around 2000, well, actually, when I got to Georgia Tech, I think in 2005, when I was at Georgia State, is when Facebook was introduced, but that was really just for students at the time. Mm-hmm. It's way to, to us adults, right? Um, but yeah, so so again, I was overseeing compliance there, felt supported um, because of Steve, Steve Rossini, you know, he, he was. And I was there was another person of color, but I was the only female at the time on the leadership team. But I, I never felt anything different because of his leadership. And he was mm. he, tr- you know, at a school like that, you know, people are SMU was known for the whole Pony Express and, um, you know, the the major issues that happened back then. So mm. compliance was big there. I mean, it's a big issue. Like they were really concerned. All Even 20 years later, they were still worried about are we going to, you know, violate rules? And so for them to uh, support me in that role spoke volumes because I knew how how important that position was to everyone there at the university, including President Turner. Wow. We're going to call you the fixer. I mean, you went to some programs <laughs> in compliance where you really fix some issues. Um, have. And, and that's a major issue. You know, we see that so much in college athletics, like um, either with coaching, mm-hmm. coaches or just programs being penalized for compliance issues, recruiting violations, so much. Um, and, I've always talked about like you've seen true disparities sometimes in how I would say minority or black coaches or black mm-hmm. are policed in these situations compared to some of their um, white counterparts. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting that that's a whole dynamic, but I'm gonna call you the fixer because it seems like you fix problems. <laughs> I never really thought about that, but I, I think it just goes back to just doing what's right. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. no compromising in that space for me. No, I, I, I'm a true believer in that as well. Mm-hmm. So now in your role now as the senior women's um, administrator at Auburn University, I know you oversee Title IX um, and just making sure that you it's no disparities in how mm-hmm. programs, um, you know, are used sports, uh, games, equipment, facilities, whatever the case may be. We know Title IX is something that just deals with the realm of education and it's talked so much about in sports that people think it's just related to sports, but it's not. Right. But talk about what you've been able to do since you joined the staff at Auburn University back in 2018 and how important your role is being in Alabama uh, <laughs> at another a power five school that's really known for football and you know, say basketball, tons of sports, more sports than I would assume they had at SMU that we had at Georgia Tech. So talk about that realm and, and the sports you oversee and, and just really trying to make sure that there's no disparities with Title IX rules and regulations. Well, if you can find an institution that has no disparities, you let me know where that is. Um, it, it's it's definitely 
a work in progress still. Um, I'll, I'll start with this first felon. I knew when I left SNU, um, I, I always tell people I had a, I had a really good uh, situation at SNU. I had a, an amazing athletics director and, and, and Steve Rossini first and then Rick Hart. And um, I was very comfortable and I could have stayed there forever. Um, right. Um, so I knew my next stop, if it wasn't in the AD chair again, it ha- I, I had to trust and believe and knew that I can be my authentic self with the next leader I worked with. Okay. And I and I, I knew that in Alan Green. And he's the reason I went to Auburn. Although I loved living in this part of the region, being at a power five um, was also very attractive, but I would not have left if it wasn't for the leader mm. because I could address those disparities with him, right? I can be honest about that. Um, and a lot of times when there is those type of things occurring, it usually impacts people who look like me, whether it's a female or a person of color. And so sometimes as a, you know, for a long time, I didn't have to worry about this, but as I, especially at SMU, it probably became more um, apparent, I guess, if you will, um, that I started to question or, or worry is probably a better word, how people would interpret, interpret what I, my, my, my perception of something. Right. So because you're because you're questioning, like, do they think I'm saying it because I'm black, because I'm a woman or is it the truth? Right. Mm-hmm. But we put that on ourselves to to think that worry about what they're going to think. Right. And so I just don't need to. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I you know, that's just what we carry. And a lot of my mm-hmm. uh, uh, my counterparts in this industry, we all have dealt with that. And so um, but when I got to Auburn, that was Alan and I had that conversation early on and we prom- we committed to one another to. And although Alan looks like me, he's been in some very different places and, and and came up a little differently in this industry than I did. And so he and I are able to talk about those experiences that maybe he had that I had that we, you know, we didn't share. It wasn't a common um, experience. So um, but anyways, at Auburn, you know. I'm constantly challenging Title IX as far as when we make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I constant, so it's always a part of the discussion. Um, it's a commitment. Alan and I just had a conversation the other day. I said, Alan, it's really time for us to do a Title IX audit. I appreciate a leader who's not afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Right? We mm-hmm. need to know what's happening in our department because there's going to be certain things that we don't even recognize. Right. We know some of the ones that are way up here and everyone can see, right? Things that are sometimes hard to do when you get football, especially. Um, but it's those things that are that truly impacts because everyone's got a facility, but there's some things that is impacting the experience that we probably don't know, right? Until you yeah. do a audit. And so um so yeah, so I, I it's all about relationships with your leader and and their 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 commitment to Title IX when you're not right. in that year. And it's also important for your leader to be comfortable um also echoing those sentiments to people who can make those decisions above him or her. Uh-huh. That's always the case. People uh, sometimes don't want to under, uh, or tend to not understand or want to understand that it doesn't matter where the money comes from. So it doesn't matter that football may raise more money than another sport. It, that does not matter in the eyes of uh, Office of Civil Rights. And so mm-hmm. I have to constantly remind our people, our staff of that, like it does not matter. So we have to be more thoughtful and diligent in our in our efforts to support all of our sports. And so if you can give them a similar, similar experience, you definitely can at least get a B. <laughs> but until you do that audit, you're so far away from making a, a receiving a grade of A. Because trust me, there there's disparities everywhere. Right. Um, um, so, but at least I think if you at least make an effort and, and I, I will be honest, Felon, I don't know if I could work for a leader that wasn't committed to it. I really, mm-hmm. I, it would be very difficult for me to stay there. Mm-hmm. Really well, this is this is another question just going um, or piggybacking off of this with Title IX. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I know so many people get confused and think in athletics that it means that everything has to be equal, right? So mm-hmm. they think if football has this much money they're getting, then women's basketball need to get needs to get this money. Right. And that's not what it's about. Right. But just try and explain a bit the differences between like equal and, and just parity, just making right. sure that it's a level playing field. Um, talk about that a little bit and just the differences between sports and what you try to get for um, the underrepresented, which are usually the female sports or the male sports that don't bring in a lot of revenue. Right. But it's how you have to work, especially at Auburn University, when you have so many different sports programs. Right. Well, you know, it's uh, kind of what I've alluded to earlier. It's not easy. And mm-hmm. I think even those sport, those institutions that have disparity, I don't think that's their, that's their intent. It, it just is difficult sometimes. And and people do often compare to football. And so what we try to do is just provide a similar experience and and try to have um, practices in place that um, if there is a difference is for non-discriminatory reasons. Right. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things that uh, stands out to me most, especially being in the SEC, is charter flights. Mm. And and so we're constantly trying to, and it's not a it's not a cheap tap, you know. Um, no, it's not, it's not cheap, right? So we try to look at like for football. Even though here at Auburn, uh, football drives a lot of places because you know time. Well, time you get to a commercial flight. I mean, yeah. not a commercial part, but a big plane. Sometimes the time to do that is just better just to drive to Florida or whatever. But anyways. When it comes to that, we, we have to look at and, and the reason why we could justify it. Let me go back. I think it might be better to talk about SMU with this because okay. once because it was probably like I said, they probably flew more um, um, places than um, Auburn's football team flies because of mm-hmm. the location and proximity to other institutions. But you have to look at the numbers. It's probably better to charter football because of the vast numbers than it would be to charter another sport. And it's so hard to people are always saying, well, how do you what sports do you compare to? football, right? It really mm-hmm. means all the other women's sports, female sports, right? Right. <laughs> Basketball is matching up. Sometimes you got soccer is matching up and tennis is matching up and those are easier. Mm-hmm. But what are you, who are you making, where are the numbers you're making up for when it comes to football? Mm-hmm. And so we just really try hard to focus on making sure their experiences are similar. Sometimes it makes sense to put a team of eight or nine on a commercial flight, right? Mm-hmm. When we were in Dallas, we had two airports. And so again, is it really disrupting um, their experience to that to a degree that's that's concerning and and that's what we really try to focus on. Um, I look at facilities. Um, you know, uh, there's some some things we have to change at Auburn because our facilities are so different. And again, you, you get donors and others who give to a certain sport, and that means we then, as the athletics department, if we're going to accept that donation for that project, then we need to be okay with we need to be willing to provide the resources to do that for the the, the opposite gender. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not. But I think that you have to be committed to it and constantly um, working toward um, uh, it's not equal, equitable. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, they always say, ask the men, the, 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 the gender. Well, ask the males what they want to change places with the females and vice versa and see what the answer is. If the men are like, yeah, we don't mind, you know, having what they have, then, you know, it's probably equitable. So. I hope that was answering your question, but um, oh, that was a good answer. Yeah. Again, it, it's been it's been interesting, but I love it. But I always tell, I've told my two last athletics directors, let a man have Title Nine because you know it's usually us women, and so let them see what we're talking about for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure they're they're, they're as, as dialed in as we are, but um, but most often if you look at institutions, mostly females are overseeing Title Nine because <laughs> they probably know they're gonna go hard on it. I don't know. I, I just think it's something about. 
this fighting for what's right. Not to say a male counterpart couldn't do it, but you know, we've always been the underrepresented. So you always yeah. represent for those. Yeah. yeah, my athletic director at SMU, Rick Hart, he said to me when I asked him that, he's like, Monique, and not to say that, like you said, the male counterparts wouldn't, he just said, I know you're going to hold us accountable to this. So I'm not worried when you have it. <laughs> okay, Rick. <laughs> That's awesome. So I like to end the show with the talk that talk questions, the triple TQs. And I typically just ask three questions and you just give me a response off the top of your head. It's not hard. It's not rocket science, but I just want your true, authentic self. So okay. what advice would you give to black women aspiring to become an athletic director or work on the collegiate level in administration? What advice would I give to a black woman who wants to work at this level, basically, right? Yeah. Um, what would I tell them? I would tell them, be thoughtful about who you work with, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes, be be more thoughtful about who you work with. Okay. Not just so much where. Where, okay. Like, mm-hmm. Long-term, what impact do you hope to have on student-athletes uh, by continuing to incorporate the vision of Title IX? Like, what do you hope that at the end of your journey in, in this position that you you will gain? What I will gain? I just hope that our student athletes will say they, they knew I had them. They knew I advocated for them to the very end. Okay. You know, I, okay. I, just, I, I hope that that's what they can say. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the last question, what is the legacy that you want to leave for future generations? Valen, you say these aren't hard and... And they should be easy, but I think about the legacy. That's what you always give people. <laughs> I, I just, I did it right, right? I just, mm-hmm. I want to say I did it right. I did it the right way. I worked okay. hard. Yeah. I just want to say I did it the right way and 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 became unapologetic mm. in, in my truth. Mm. Okay. Well, this was awesome, Monique. See, <laughs> I told you I would invite. <laughs> <laughs> You know, get. I always like to have people on my podcast that can give an authentic, um, just genuine, uh, or have a genuine conversation. Mm-hmm. Just to really tell you, never know what your story or who you might touch with your story. So I just think it's important just to get different people from different situations uh, on here, so that we could just have a discussion and hopefully it helps somebody moving forward who wants to be an athletic director, or anything in athletics in the future. So that's yeah, what I hope with this one. I hope so too. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, again, it's always great seeing you. You didn't get tripped up by little man. You want me to throw that in there? <laughs> oh gosh. I'm going to send little man to visit Alex in New York and, and Millie in California. <laughs> <laughs> and Tamika and, and Nisha. Nisha probably really needs a visit from him in Spain, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the one I want to visit. But um, yeah. I'll have to talk to her soon um, about what she's doing, too. Yeah. But again, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm glad you could join me. Thank you. All right. I'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, this was another great episode of Talk That Talk, episode 21. I had the privilege of having Monique Holland who's the senior women's administrator at Auburn University, really working in the division of compliance, Title IX, representing different sports or overseeing different sports at at that institution. But she is doing great things, especially as a Black female. So wanted to have her on this show just to give some input 
and just some information about what it takes to have that role, especially in a power five or at a power five school and just her journey in general, where she's been around athletics for over two decades, just really doing this work. Very impressive for a young black female. And I was happy to have her, my former coach at Georgia Tech, one of my former coaches. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, you know, I'm going to continue the trend and do it like I do every week and give my black business shout out. And the black business shout out for this week is B-E-Z Products, LLC. This company was started by um, a fellow classmate of mine from high school, Kwesi Bachi. He and his son have joined forces to start this beard grooming product line. And it is impressive for my men who are getting their James Harden on or their Ricky Rose on with the long beard gang. You know, you got to keep that beard maintained if you want to keep entertaining these women who are looking at it because we don't want to see a messed up beard. We want to see a male that's well-groomed and keeping their beard taken care of, keeping it fresh. And this is the product line for you. Um, The Bocce brothers have been doing business in Atlanta for years, but this brother right here has come up with a great product, a great grooming line for males. So go check him out. You can follow him on IG. It's B underscore E-Z products. Or if you want to go to the website, it's simply bezproducts.com. And that is the Black Business shout out for the week. Please support this brother, follow him, purchase some products. And that's what you should do because he's putting out great products and continuing to do great things in our community. So we have to support him. That's the Black Business shout out. But like every week, I enjoyed this episode, episode 21. Monique Holland gave us some great information for you future athletic directors or future administrators. So please check out episode 21. This is another one. We are three episodes into season two. Already had two previous good episodes with Eric Henderson on episode 19. Episode 20 was with Barry Givens. So please take a listen. Listen to season one as well. Support, subscribe. We need people to subscribe and listen. It's important. I love hearing feedback from my listeners and viewers. It makes me thrive. It makes me want to do better. So let's continue the trend. It was a great one. This is episode 21 in the books. See you next time.